0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. A few months ago, I was speaking at a conference and as part of that conference heard a presentation from a book called Flip the Script. Now, this book is by Chuck Peters, Jana Magruder and Stephanie Salvatore. It's a production team from LifeWay Christian Resources. And the book is significant because its subtitle is Disrupting Tradition for the Sake of the Next Generation. Now, this is not a long, complex academic book. It's more of a summary-type piece that's put together in a really attractive way that can be used by uh, church leaders to think through the kind of ministry they're doing to children and teenagers and to really analyze if the methodologies they're using are effective in the culture in which we're living today. Now, one of the things the book does is talks about uh, the issue of worldview, and it asks this question, what exactly is today's worldview? In other words, uh, what is it that children and teenagers are thinking today? What is the milieu of thought in which they're maturing? And how is that uh, influencing the way they perceive and the way they experience the world? Well, this question, what exactly is today's worldview? They answered by quoting from a book Yuval Levin wrote entitled The Fractured Republic. Here's what they said. They said today's worldview is primarily shaped by expressive individualism. Expressive individualism suggests not only a desire to pursue one's own path, but also a yearning for fulfillment through the definition and articulation of one's own identity. It is a drive both to be more like whatever you already are, and also to live in society and by fully asserting who you are. The capacity of individuals to define the terms of their own existence by defining their personal identities Is increasingly equated with uh, with liberty and with the meaning of some of our basic rights, and it is given pride of place in our self understanding. Now, let's be clear this book is not advocating for this position, and neither am I. It simply says this is the worldview that's most pervasive. In our culture today, this is how children and teenagers experience the world. And this is how they perceive the world around them. And most importantly, this is how they establish identity and how they express identity today. Now, there are outlined in this book seven beliefs that are at the core of expressive individualism. The first one is this. The highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. The highest good is individual freedom. That is a sobering thought, and yet you don't have to look very far in our culture to see that that is definitely number one on the list of how people see the world today. Number two. Traditions, religions, received wisdom, regulations, and social ties that restrict individual freedom, happiness, and self-definition, and self-expression must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. Traditions, religions, received wisdom, any of these teachings which restrict individual freedom, must be reshaped, deconstructed, or destroyed. Number three, the world will inevitably improve as the scope of individual freedom grows. Technology, in particular the internet, will motor this progression toward utopia. The world will inevitably improve, and technology will take us there. That's how younger people today view the world in which we're living. Number four, the primary social ethic is tolerance. Of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression, any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated. (laughs) Ha, ha. I love the contradiction even in that claim. Therefore, social justice is less about economic or class inequality and more about issues of equality relating to individual identity, self-expression, and personal autonomy. The primary social ethic is tolerance. Number five, humans are inherently good. Six. Large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst. This, of course, is why there's so much mistrust of government, of denominations, of large institutions like universities or large corporations that dominate the business world. Large-scale structures and institutions are suspicious at best and evil at worst. And then finally, number seven, forms of external authority are rejected and personal authenticity is lauded. Now let me, again, underscore. Uh, This book, Flip the Script, is not advocating for these seven positions. It's explaining that this is the reality In which we're living today. And as I read through this paragraph describing what uh, expressive individualism is, and then these seven beliefs that are at the core of expressive individualism, I found myself resonating. This is where we live. Recently, I was at a sporting event. Uh, I was sitting with some friends, and in the row in front of me was a family with some very small children. And in the row behind me, there were some young adults that uh, were perhaps married or uh, of young marrying age, but did not have any children with them. The young adults were quite boisterous and having a good time and enjoying the game, but their language was incredibly offensive. And I wondered, do they have any sense of that? Did they have any thought that there are small children sitting around them listening to this vulgar vocabulary? And then I reflected on what I'd been reading in this book. The highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. Their highest good was being able to say whatever they want, whenever they want, no matter who else might be there or who else might hear. And so even in something as simple as explaining the conduct of people at a sporting event, I found myself referring back to these seven core beliefs. Individualism, expressive individualism, does explain the worldview young people have today. Now, what's interesting today is that this worldview is not the domain of dry academics tucked away in some uh, distant university writing uh, uh, reports and papers no one else reads but other academics. No, this pervasive worldview is clearly being communicated throughout the culture. And I find it striking how often these sentiments are communicated by characters either in movies or by popular entertainers. For example... Queen Clarice in Princess Diaries 2 said, Whatever choice you make, let it come from your heart. Ernesto from the movie Coco said, The rest of the world must follow the rules, but I must follow my heart. And then DC Comics, The Flash, he said, Life doesn't give us purpose. We give life purpose. Yu Shu Lin, in Crouching Tiger and Hidden Dragon, said, Whatever path you decide to take in this life, be true to yourself. And Tiana from The Princess and the Frog. Fairy tales can come true. You just got to make them happen. It all depends on you. And then, how about this one from Frozen? Frozen. The lyrics of that iconic song, Let It Go. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. This is just a small sampling of this worldview being presented in various kinds of entertainment that appeals primarily to children And then a few entertainers that might appeal to teenagers as well. The worldview that all of these people are growing up in is pervasive throughout media. Now, having said all that, uh, it's important to understand that what I've presented so far is just the first part of the first few pages of this book, Flip the Script, Instead, the book, once it lays the foundation, asks this really seminal question. Is the traditional ministry model being used by most churches today effective at reaching children and teenagers who are immersed in this worldview? And the answer in this little book is no, it is not. Our ministry models must be rethought in order to reach children who are so heavily influenced in the world that they're living. Now, the traditional ministry model to children and to teenagers goes something like this. We want them to hear Bible stories in the gospel message, believe in Jesus and begin a faith journey, and share with others, meaning telling others about what they've experienced in Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note that This little book does not advocate for different outcomes. It just says that in order to get to these three traditional ministry methodology goals, we're going to have to approach ministry from some different perspectives. And in order to do that, they lay out what they call a next-gen ministry model, which isn't built around those threefold steps of hearing, believing, and sharing, Instead, it's built around six interlocking or intertwined activities that take into consideration the worldview of children and teenagers who are not yet Christians, who are not growing up in a Christian environment and are not growing up with a Christian worldview, and then seeks to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ in terms that they are more likely to understand and in ways they are more likely to accept. The Next Gen Ministry model begins with this affirmation, I am here. And it wants a child to say, I feel welcome here, included here, and I want to come back here. This strikes at the significance of individualism and identity and community. Now, recognize that this is not where we ultimately want a child to end in their thinking, but it is a recognition that this is where they are and where we must begin. Second, this affirmation, listening. I am engaging with others, feel connected, and want to listen. Now, part of the next gen ministry model involves a lot of group activity, including some things that might be considered uh, playing together. These are not just throwaway activities to fill up time, however. They are recognizing that children and teenagers who have this worldview want to begin a relationship with others and even with God by testing whether they can work together with these people and find identity and belonging as a part of the group as opposed to just in their own individualism. So a next-gen ministry model begins with, I am here, and then moves to listening. I am engaging with others. Then it moves toward understanding. I understand increasingly more and more about who God is and what he is like. This is where we begin communicating foundational truths about who God is and what he's like, And we help people understand that they can do this with no prior knowledge necessary. This makes everyone an insider, puts everyone on a level playing field. Advocates of this approach say that every teaching session has to be treated like it's the first week that anyone in the room has ever heard these beautiful ideas about the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean you don't build from week to week, but it means you come attitudinally with an understanding that you have to start almost from the beginning every time to make sure that every person feels that there's a place for them in what you're communicating. And then a fourth step in this Next Gen Ministry model is believing with the affirmation, I believe in Jesus and begin my faith journey. That's certainly the objective that we're trying to achieve, but in interfacing with today's worldview, rather than starting with sharing information and calling for belief, we first have to start with establishing a foundation for identity, establishing a foundation for belonging, establishing a foundation of biblical truth, which is lacking almost entirely in this generation, and then and then calling them to believe in Jesus. These gospel conversations and gospel presentations must be clear, forthright, demanding, but always presented in a way that helps every person know they can access the gospel. And then the fifth part of this ministry model is growing. I become more like Jesus and display his character. Nurture meaning identity is now based on God's character. Helping kids and students understand that one's identity is defined by God, that expressive individualism is not biblical, and that defining identity by ourselves and in ourselves and of ourselves will only lead to futility. But by allowing our identities to be Our identity to be defined by God, to understand who he is, what he is like, how he has made us, and how that identity can be formed because of that relationship is essential. So growing is a very vital part of what it means to reestablish an understanding of identity that's healthier and wiser. And then finally, This new next-gen ministry model also includes reaching with the affirmation, I serve my community and tell others about the love of Jesus. This is when you create opportunities for children and teenagers to serve their community, usually best alongside volunteers who might also be parents, but certainly who are adults. And serving with others builds that lifestyle of sharing, and it creates an awareness of focus on something other than yourself. This is how we end this self-focused on expressive individualism and build something much, much larger in the lives of people. Now, let's talk about, in summary, what we've learned so far. We have considered the worldview that people are living in today. And then looked at the traditional ministry model that's being used by most churches and then ask ourselves what kind of new model, what kind of new model must be put into place in order to have a much better possibility of connecting people immersed in a worldview that is decidedly not Christian with the Christian faith and then assuming or adopting a Christian worldview. You know, the world has changed. Worldview two or three generations ago, for most children and teenagers, their peers identified as Christians. They attended church regularly or sporadically, but they at least knew what church was and had some awareness of how to participate in its services. And they shared values rooted In religious ideals, in general, the culture believed the meaning of life was to be good and that goodness emerged out of a moral commitment shaped by our worldview, which was very Christian favorable or Christian oriented. Back in the day, the worldview believed that rights and ethics were defined by external sources like government, religion, society, family, And the world improved as people behaved morally, meaning that they behaved in such a way that these external sources were honored and that people in community supported them. And so understanding the gospel uh, two or three generations ago was a matter of connecting the dots of these existing beliefs and perhaps seeing how Jesus became the centering person that made all of this make sense. But that is gone. So what's worldview now? Well, as I've said, our worldview now is that most children and teenagers have peers who do not identify as Christian, do not attend church regularly, do not share values rooted in religious ideas. And in general, uh, the culture now believes the meaning of life is to define myself, not to be good, but to establish my identity, to be who I am. To let my truth be my truth To do what I think is right To follow my feelings To define myself And so they believe that rights and ethics are defined internally They don't respect or appreciate or follow external authority They're not really too concerned What the government says or religion says Or society or family They have been taught and they believe, and their friends believe, that their highest good is to define themselves, and they expect society as a, at large to defend people whose identity is marginalized, and to, in fact, go to the extreme of defending the individualized identity of every marginalized person to the point that it becomes to be legitimized. And the majority has to follow the minority in these areas. So this means that because we're following ourselves, that our beliefs will inevitably contradict the gospel and its implications. And becoming a Christian isn't anything like connecting the dots, (laughs) like stringing together the things from our belief system that make sense only around Jesus Christ. Note, now becoming a Christian is setting aside that belief system that we're living in today and adopting a radically different perspective. So, Flip the Script helps us to understand worldview, analyze ministry models, and perhaps create a new ministry model that would be more effective at reaching children and teenagers immersed in this cultural moment. Now, there are also included in this book, 12 biblical truths that counter these cultural attacks on our identity and our identity as Christians. Now, This little book, book, Flip the Script, summarizes these in three groups and I find them to be very helpful. The first is under the heading God's Passion for Me. It says, I am known. I am uniquely designed. I am never alone. I am loved. This foundation point These first four biblical truths summarize God's passion for me. Now, you may say, well, I wouldn't start there. Well, that's because you're a Christian and you have a Christian worldview. These first foundational truths are not designed to convince you of anything. They're designed to convince a 10-year-old boy who's grown up for 10 years, immersed in every kind of media and social media, in a public education system and in a schoolyard and in a neighborhood, in a world filled with movies and music, all of it, communicating a worldview of expressive individualism, you start addressing that person with the gospel by saying, I am known, I am uniquely designed, I am never alone and then I am loved and in laying out these first four foundational truths as it does on all of the other 12 as well uh, there are scriptures included and uh, biblical resources and theological uh, background given to help understand how each of these four convictional statements emerges directly from scripture. And then the second great idea is my position before God. And it's also summarized in four biblical truths. I am broken. I am forgiven. I am secure. I am set apart. These sound somewhat familiar, don't they? I am broken. I'm a sinner. I am forgiven. (laughs) I need salvation. I am secure. I am in Christ held forever. I am set apart, sanctified, made new, held on to, or held out for something new and different. So, yes, these truths must be communicated in this culture. And just because we don't start with them doesn't mean we don't get to them. My position before God is I am broken. I am forgiven. I am secure. And I am set apart. Well, once we've established God's passion and our position Then we move to the last section of truth, and that is God's plan for my life. And once again, it's summarized in four statements. I am made for community. Well, once a person understands who they are and understands how they are now recreated and in position before God, they are truly ready to have real community. I am made for community. I am meant to know God. I am designed for a purpose, and I am here to share Jesus. Eventually, we challenge people to grow in community, that's church. Know God, devote personal devotion. Design for a purpose, live on mission. Share Jesus, tell others about the gospel. You see, the outcomes that we want for teenagers and children today are the same outcomes we've always wanted. So this little book, Flip the Script, is not about saying we have to not be real Christians or not really talk about the gospel or not really be demanding about the implications of what it means to live the Christian faith. No, it's saying just the opposite. It's saying we must say all of those things and say them strongly. But it advocates for doing so in a way that people who are inculcated in this worldview today will actually hear the message. Well, finally, uh, this book ends with talking about the relational differences that are building healthy churches and disciples today. You know, a lot of ministry in previous generations was lateral or linear, you know, uh, you put all the, se- the seventh graders in one room, and they have a lateral relationship just with other seventh graders. And you have linear, meaning they have a teacher above them who teaches them or imparts information to them. Well, there is still, of course, need for teachers, and there is still an appropriate time to get all the seventh graders together. But One of the interesting things in this book, Flip the Script, is the challenge to build relationally-based ministries that help children and teenagers connect with more than one adult and with more than one age group of their peers. And in building this web or network of relationships, they find not only real community, but also modeling and mentoring and the opportunity to serve and sacrifice themselves, even for the good of others in this network of people that they're building. Now, not enough time to go into it in great detail today, but this would require some church organizational thinking to help understand how to do this more effectively. How to blend generations and pull them together. Not ending the lateral and the linear, not ending that forever and for always, but simply saying how can we augment that? Because one of the clear uh, uh, findings in research that supports this book is that teenagers who become healthy spiritually growing adults do so because they had a network of adults not just one but a network of do- of adults in their formative years who helped shape them in their Christian faith so building next generation ministry for the future is not just about those 12 foundational truths i just communicated it's all about also about redefining relationships So that those truths are not only taught, but they're also lived and reinforced and modeled and then even the opportunity given to teach them and model them for others. Well, today we've talked about what it means to design ministry to reach children and teenagers in this cultural milieu. Today's worldview is expressive individualism. And this little book, flipped the Script, you can get it from Lifeway. This little book helps explain what today's worldview is like, how this worldview is pervasive in media and in relationships and in communities, what this worldview does in terms of evaluating uh, present ministry approaches and perhaps reveals why they're so ineffective. And then it lays out some strategies that we can use to reshape our ministry plans so that we go forward doing things that really connect with teenagers and children where they are in the cultural setting we find them. Ultimately, we want to communicate biblical truth, particularly the 12 outlined in this book, but of course, certainly more beyond that, as we make disciples of those who come to follow Christ. And then we want to try to find ways to build these relational networks so that we support teenagers and children as they, grow to, as they grow to faith and become the adults we need to stand with us, extending our movement. I hope you will get this little book, Flip the Script. I hope you'll read it carefully and let it help you rethink how you're ministering to children and teenagers as you lead on.